This is The Guardian. Today, have British people forgotten how to behave in public? Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. So I think if this was an opening scene of a movie, it would be the opening few minutes of Saving Private Ryan. It's like that beach, but instead it's just a lot of drunk people at comedy clubs. Kate Barron is a Canadian comedian, and over the Easter weekend, she experienced the work day from hell. She was booked to perform three different gigs in London, starting at 4pm, finishing at 1am. But things went awry very early on. The first gig promised the audience an offer of bottomless booze. One of the groups was there for a birthday party. There was the birthday girl screaming out at people, wanting it to be about her. These drunk women interrupt every single comedian that's on the bill that night. So by the time I get up there, I'm absolutely ready to go in on them. It didn't stop there for Kate. Her second gig was at a club across London. Here, she was faced with Mary. People kept telling her she needed to be quiet. And her friends are surrounding her, comforting her, saying, Mary, babe, you're amazing. You're funny. You were adding to the show. And other women are going, no, be quiet. Don't tell her she was being great. So she wouldn't stop crying. I ended up leaving. Every comedian who came before me all had to have their sets ruined by this girl and her group. By gig number three, Kate figured things couldn't get worse. In the middle of this show, one of the comedians is on and he happened to tell a joke where a man had a mouthful of beer. The guy laughed, choked and spit it all over the woman in front of him. While this is happening, another audience member comes out, throws up on another audience member and then a third audience member comes out, starts getting naked in front of the staff, and the night just kept getting more and more ridiculous. But this isn't just about the anarchy of comedy gigs. Bad behaviour has spiralled across theatres in post-pandemic Britain, at plays, at jukebox musicals, even the opera. And it is taking a worrying toll on entertainers. But it's especially difficult on all the staff who are forced to endure what sounds like a wild rise in abuse and violence. Honestly, at the end of all of it, the ones who have it the worst are the staff. I'm a performer, I'm a comedian, I don't have to deal with this. The staff have to deal with all of it. Just what is going on and why? I have spoken to so many other comedians. Since the lockdown has happened, it is like audiences have forgotten how to behave. From The Guardian, I'm Noshi Nekbal. Today in Focus, what's behind the spike in bad behaviour 
playing out in theatre venues across Britain. Alice Saville, you're a theatre critic and editor, and it's been a year since you wrote a piece for The Observer examining how theatre audiences seem to have forgotten how to behave. Now, that's a story that has spiralled with so many reports recently on just how bad things have gotten. Before we talk specifically about that, can you tell me when you first noticed that things had changed? I really love theatre, so I was the kind of person who doggedly went on watching theatre live streams through the pandemic. So, yeah, I was sat there on the sofa with a cup of herbal tea, watching some six-hour live stream and from Punch Drunk or something like that, and really enjoying it. So I think it was a bit of a culture shock going back to suddenly being in a space with lots of other people. So I guess at first when I started to go back, I thought it's just the shock of being with other people. But then after a while, I realised that the experience was more heightened. Can you give me an example of what you mean? So I went to Frozen, a matinee of Frozen. I was expecting to be a, like a very gentle, cute, family-friendly show. But actually when I got there, I was quite surprised that I was sat right next to a very, very drunk woman who, whenever the actors would say something on stage, would yell, that's right! <laughs> <laughs> so enthusiastic Yeah, drunk. she was so enthusiastic. But then people around her started to get really angry with her mm. and say, shut up, they were trying to watch the show. They just wanted to basically enjoy it without her having her own little comment on everything that would happen, warbling, let it go. And then eventually she stormed out, but she sort of weirdly paused and caressed my hair as she stopped to go, as though she was bewildered to remember that there were other people in the theatre with her. And then, But gently stroked your hair before she did. Yeah, exactly. It was incredibly surreal. It was like I was her pet spaniel. Alice, since you reported on this trend a year ago on how theatre audiences had really changed post-pandemic, the story seems to have snowballed. Can you tell me about what's been happening more recently? At Bat Out of Hell in March, there was a case of a, a male audience member who spent the whole show talking over the performers, heckling them, complaining about them. And audience members around him got increasingly angry, were sort of telling him to be quiet. Ushers got involved and eventually they had to stop the show so that ushers could march him out of the theatre. And apparently the whole audience were chanting, out, 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 as he was sort of removed. But a performance of The Bodyguard at Manchester Palace Theatre a couple of weeks ago there was a, what the media has described as a riot. Two audience members were really excited for the show's big song, I Will Always Love You. So they stood up in their seats, started singing along really raucously. And the theatre actually has signs everywhere saying, please don't sing during the show. So some ushers came to ask them to sit down and stop singing so loudly. Other audience members also started telling them to be quiet and basically fights broke out and it culminated in the show having to stop this group of women were physically removed. You can't do that. Melody Thornton, who was singing the song, wasn't able to finish this big triumphant moment of the show and she did an emotional social media post afterwards saying, I fought really hard to try and finish the show but... There was no way to go on and it feels really awful having to stop the show before that big moment. I fought really hard 
it feels awful. I think everyone who um, was respectful of the performers and very, very sorry for those who weren't. Alice, as annoying as all of this sounds for performers and for audiences, there is actually a far more serious undercurrent at work here because when you look at this recent survey by the trade union that represents broadcasting, entertainment and theatre employees, BEC2, it has revealed a quite gross state of affairs when it comes to how these employees are being treated by the public. Can you explain what it's found? Okay, 90% of theatre venue employees, a lot of those will be ushers, had experienced or witnessed unacceptable behaviour. So that includes assault, vandalism, racist language. And 70% of them said that behaviour was worse than it was pre-pandemic. And that's definitely something that that was backed up by my conversations with ushers. They talked about having these horrible positions of being sort of punched, pushed, spat on by members of the public. They're not being trained to do this kind of job. The job of an usher is meant to be sort of welcome people, make them feel comfortable, sell them an ice cream. But instead, they're having to be these peace negotiators trying to resolve disputes between audience members in hushed whispers without interrupting the show and making really difficult judgment calls about whether someone's behaviour is okay or whether they should be removed. I think the problem with it all at the moment is that the focus is being put on these disruptive people and the behaviour and how it's disrupting shows. And I don't think that's such a good thing because I think it's actually taking the focus off what the actual issue is, which is the safety of front of house staff. Bethany North has been working in front of house jobs in theatre for about 10 years. It's not generally considered to be a high risk job. I count myself quite lucky, which is really quite sad and distressing to say, but I count myself quite lucky that I've never been physically assaulted in any way. But I've been verbally abused countless times. It's upsetting and it's also irritating when you're just trying to do your job. You know that you haven't done anything wrong and yet you're being bellowed at and sweared out and it's horrible and I really took it personally. It just gets you down psychologically and it becomes a lot to deal with, you know, when you're thinking about, I have to go into work and, oh, what's going to happen today? And I really don't want to have to deal with angry people today. Alice, what do the performers, the actors, singers, dancers that you've spoken to say about the situation? Because on the one hand, when I've interviewed actors, they do love talking about the thrill and the magic of theatre being rooted in the fact that Every night an audience is different. On the other hand, I guess you don't want to be singing the lead vocal in a show and have an audience member belt out your show-stopping next line before you do. So what do they say? I completely agree that loads of performers have moments they treasure where an audience member sort of reacted with a really huge laugh to a throwaway line or someone made an exaggerated gasp of shock at a pivotal moment. I think that kind of liveness is what makes going to performance really exciting in the sense that everyone around you is really feeling every beat of the show and responding to it. I think it's when audience members put their own personal pleasure over the sense of being in a collective experience where everyone else's experience and journey matters. 
I remember seeing Nicole Raquel Dennis tweeting about playing Effie in Dreamgirls, talking about the experience of singing that sort of incredible first act closer, tears running down her face. It's this huge moment where her character's journey is kind of a pivotal moment. And then to hear a drunken audience member hit the final note before she could, it's just agonising. It's not about one audience member having the best night of their lives. It's about everyone in theatre having a great time together. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, I remember going to shows several times a week when I was working on the Guardian's Culture Desk and you would sort of subconsciously look out to the audience to affirm how well or badly your night was going. And a particularly stiff or prim audience could really kill a play dead. Now, I am not advocating for a full audience sing-along or a bust-up. But what is the middle ground here? Particularly if culture is competing for younger audiences to come along who aren't necessarily steeped in the traditions and the decorum that some places hold so dear. So basically, I think that sometimes people have the idea that bad behaviour in theatre is a class thing, saying that some people don't know how to act in theatre, but I really don't think it is. I think people of all backgrounds connect badly in the theatre and recently at the Royal Opera House we had the case of an audience member being banned for life for shouting rubbish to a 12 year old boy singing in Handel's Alcina and yeah Royal Opera House is seen as one of the most rarefied theatres there is. I mean I'd absolutely hate to live in a world where we police people responding to a show in a spontaneous and authentic way People should be able to laugh. People should be able to cry or have a spontaneous moment because they're so involved in it. But I think it's all about whether it's about the collective response and everyone feeling a show together or whether it's about one person just not considering the impact of their behaviour on those around them. Coming up, what does the way we behave in public say about what else is going on in Britain? Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to Bluehost.com Wondersuite. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. 
Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Dr. Kirsty Sedgman, you're an expert in audience behaviour and you've done quite a bit of work on how crowds respond to culture. Now, we've just heard some hairy tales of bad behaviour from people watching comedy or having a night out at the theatre, as if almost, you know, we've forgotten the rules or gone a bit feral through lockdowns. And there was definitely a lot said about people, you know, at the time not knowing how to make small talk anymore or talk to their friends and socialise. Do you think something similar has happened when it comes to knowing how to behave in crowds? That's what my most recent work has been exploring. What's happened to us post-lockdown, I think, is really quite troubling. Because what happened during lockdown is, first of all, we became more attuned to each other's bodies and behaviours than ever before. And that led, at first, to a real sense of communitarian thinking. We're all in this together. If I'm moderating my behaviour, it's for the good of myself to keep me safe, but also to keep my friends and my neighbours and strangers safe. But then we saw that that started to fragment. That was at least partly down to the... um, Dominic Cummings incident where he took a drive to Barnard Castle, even though that was against lockdown rules. In the week the country went into lockdown, Dominic Cummings was seen hastily leaving number 10. But Mr Cummings didn't stay at his home in London. Instead, he travelled more than 250 miles to see his elderly parents in County Durham. He said that that behaviour was completely reasonable. In this very complex situation, I tried to exercise my judgement the best I could. I believe that in all the circumstances I behave reasonably and legally. And there's quite a lot of evidence to suggest that that's the point where a lot of people went, oh, well, if it's reasonable for them to decide what's safe, then I get to choose how I think I should behave. We did not sit by our parents, our children, our aunties, our uncles. We did what we were told. Why couldn't you? So as you say, there is actually a lot of evidence pointing to that Dominic Cummings incident as a moment where people felt the social contract was broken. Now, British culture is still seen stereotypically as being polite and repressed. But how has this changed attitude towards authority and the rules trickled down? Well, what I find when I study the discourse, I find that nobody would ever, I think, say that they personally have forgotten how to behave. But a lot of people think that everybody else has. And what we've seen, particularly surrounding things like the Bodyguard musical, whilst absolutely not approving of violence or abuse or even condoning it, what we saw is an argument brewing around what started all of that off, which was the singing along. A lot of people were saying, what you don't understand is theatre is our church. But for some people, what that means is sitting there in reverent silence. But of course, for other people, it means lifting your voice in song, perhaps in a more exuberant way. Kirsty, do you think there is an argument that audiences have 
always been unruly or disruptive and that actually this is nothing new? Or do you think public behaviour is especially bad? And I say that inverted commas, bad right now. So to some extent, we've been having these arguments for a very long time, going back even as far as the ancient Greeks. Plato himself complained about the unruliness and uncouthness of audiences who used to know how to sit silently and now need to be controlled with a stick. And then during the 19th century, we saw people like Matthew Arnold, who was an extraordinarily influential cultural critic, looking at things like mass migration to urban centres because of the rise of industry and really starting to panic. He went around the US and Europe arguing that society was falling into anarchy and that these newly imagined masses needed to be controlled And the only way to do that was to use the arts as a civilizing tool, Mm. which meant complete repression of every inch of natural exuberance. And that's really where the active policing of audiences started. In fact, they hired some Venice plainclothes policemen to sit there in the stalls. Oh, right. To just, well, literally police people's behavior. Yes. So if we're thinking about the long history of human civilization, unruly audiences have always been the norm. And the 19th century model of reverent silence where everybody was bathed in what Arnold called the best that has been thought or said in the world. That's actually a pretty recent Mm. invention. And what about the other major stressors so present in people's lives? And I'm thinking about the cost of living, strikes, the general feeling that nothing is quite working as it should be and is a bit broken. Is it too far-fetched to think that that's having an impact on the way we behave collectively and as audiences? I don't think it's too far-fetched at all. In fact, moments of social unrest that are coming from broader socio-political and economic pressures, they've often erupted in theatres first. And this is what I've been warning about, actually, for quite some time, that we're going to see this widening rift in theatres over how we should behave and what we can reasonably expect of other people, those arguments are now playing out in every aspect of social life. And also in those big macro debates about things like civic protest and what's the reasonable way to behave when you are demonstrating on the street. And why is it that theatres seem to be the ground zero at understanding more wider public behaviour when a lot of people would think, well, actually, it's just quite an elitist niche space and has no bearing on my life and how I behave. (laughs) There just aren't that many social opportunities anymore to get together physically into the same space. Very often we're passing through and passing past each other, but also because the arts have always been a way to let out, manage, but also exacerbate, in certain circumstances, social anxieties. Do you think that this shift could be the new norm in terms of the way people respond to culture? I worry that we're not going to be able now to put the genie back in the bottle. I think we've definitely seen, over the past 10 years particularly, an increased sense from within the theatre industry itself, as well as from audiences, that what a sizable chunk of people want is sociable fun and that theatre can be an important place to get together to sing along 
and to have a lovely, still respectful time together, but in a way that's more vocal. But at the same time, what we're seeing is a backlash against that from often more traditional audience goers who really do want to preserve the pleasures of receptive silence. And what I really think is that as an industry, we can have both things together. We just can't have them in the same performance. So really having a wider range of tailor-made experiences to invite different kinds of audience members with different hopes and expectations to different kinds of events might be a way for everybody to get what they want. Alice, do you know much about the way the theatre industry itself is responding? Well, for me, I think a lot of the problem is a problem about how these shows are sold and marketed and what expectations people come into the theatre with. And I think that the kinds of shows in which these incidents are happening, it's definitely not all shows. It's disproportionately jukebox musicals. And often it's about the way that they're sold to people. So Ambassador Theatre Group has recently advised theatres to avoid phrases like best party in town or you'll be dancing in the aisles because you're just giving people the wrong idea. You're making them think Mm. that it's kind of expected and normal that they'll be like running all over the theatre, singing, drinking, dancing, when actually there are loads of way better places to do that if that's what you want. And I think the other thing that the theatre industry is starting to do is just making people aware of what the rules for engagement with theatre are from the get-go. So when I went to see Dolly Parton's Smoky Mountain Christmas Carol, unfortunately the great lady herself doesn't appear in the show, Mm. but she's actually recorded a little pre-show announcement where she basically says, don't sing along during the show, don't take pictures, but there's a moment at the end where you can take pictures because... You're not born knowing how to Mm. behave in every environment in the world. Do you think this moment marks a permanent shift? Do you think, and I say unruly in quotes, do you think unruly audiences are the new norm? Well, I actually think that for most shows, audiences react in a totally appropriate way. But also, I think with the specific issues of these shows, post-pandemic theatres have just been desperate to get people through the doors recoup some of the losses they made but hopefully sort of moving forwards there'll be maybe changes to alcohol policies a bit more of a sense that this is something that can be resolved with better communication and also I just think that people will get over their sort of frenetic post-pandemic excitement But I mean, I do also think it's a sign of health of the industry that people want to come to the theatre and have a good time. It's not some kind of dead space where people just expect to sit in silence and be bored out of their skull. And in a way, it's a better problem to have to say, have fun, but please don't have too much fun. Alice, thank you so much. Thanks so much. It's been brilliant. That was theatre critic Alice Saville. Dr. Kirsty Sedgman, an expert in audience behaviour, front of house worker Bethany North and comedian Kate Barron. My thanks to all of them. To read Alice's original piece for The Observer, you can search for Trouble in the Stalls when audience drama upstages the show at theguardian.com. 
Before you go, a quick recommendation for the Guardian's podcast series, Cotton Capital, which traces the newspaper's links to transatlantic slavery. Episode three follows award-winning journalist Deneen Brown as she travels to the Sea Islands in the United States to meet descendants of the West Africans who picked the cotton that made Manchester rich. You can find Cotton Capital wherever you found this episode. And that's it for today. I'm Nasheen Iqbal, and this episode was produced by George McDonough. Sound design was by Solomon King. The executive producer was Huma Khalili. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.